BMG Partners in 1494 2AY presents The Journey Podcast. The stories you're about to hear are true. They shine a light on the events and incidents, known and unknown, that have shaped the lives of the Albury-Wodonga region's most intriguing personalities, local legends and unsung heroes. So sit back and enjoy. All right, a journey for another month, and this time around, Glenn Jarvis from BMG Partners, one of the partners. Welcome along to the journey. Okay, thanks for having me. So, a bit like Stephen, who we've spoken to recently as well, uh, I know this isn't your forte, you don't love getting in and telling your journey, but it is important for people to know, I guess, um, the stories behind each and one another, because um, yourself will talk about in a moment, uh, not just in the financial services, which kind of makes sense at the moment, but also uh, paracycling, paratriathlete. We're going to get to know a little bit more about that side of your life. So before we get started into some of that, though, let's talk about your heritage to the area. Um, local, school here, what's your connection to Albury-Wodonga? Yes, born in Wodonga. Um, my uh, family goes back quite a few generations uh, in the Kewa Valley. And, um, uh, you know, school through, you know, St. Augustine's in Wodonga, um, Wodonga High, and then um, off to university in Melbourne for a stint um, after uh, about, well, close to three years in the army in between, sorry, after school. Uh, oh. I was stint in the army to uh, learn a bit more about life. Yeah. So what uh, what did you do in the army? Was it a special field or? The, uh, I studied electronics out of Bonagilla. Uh, so I joined the army to, to see the world and uh, get posted out to Bonagilla. <laughs> <laughs> what a story. Then your university um, and then couldn't come home quick enough. What, what was that sort of turning point to, to get back into town? The, um, the, uh, the key draw card to come back to town was I met my lovely wife who was up here with three children. Uh, and I had, I had a job in Melbourne after university, but um, not much else holding me there and a whole lot of reasons to come back home. That's great because we do see it quite often. Albury-Wodonga's got this sort of uh, gravitation um, where a lot of people will come through and spread their wings and look around and end up coming back and, and are always quite proud of the area. And mm. um, so talk about, I guess, essentially, first of all, your financial services. How do you go from electronics to financial services? The, um, the, um, when I went off to, to the army, my first plan was to be in the army and um, study a trade there. Uh, applied for building, uh, carpentry, but uh, they were taking only a handful of those and they needed two classroom pools of electronics people. Uh, so I ended up in the electronics field. Um, the uh, catalyst for me leaving the army uh, was a motorcycle accident. Uh, resulting in the amputation of my leg. Um, soon I was a, a teenager uh, with a, a whole reset on life and trying to work out how I was going to survive in the world with a desk job. Um, so I figured I needed to go to university and get myself an education. Um, one thing led to another and found myself in the business school there studying financial planning. Brilliant. So let's yeah. go to the motorcycle accident. Uh, how old were you? Yeah, 18. I'd, um, I've always been quite keen to, to live my life and, and not to stand still for too long. And uh, we had a lull in, in activities in the army for a while. And so I took some leave and I thought I'd visit my sister up in Townsville. I thought, what a what better experience than to ride a motorbike up the East Coast. 
and uh, as a young 18 year old I loaded the bike up as, as much as I could and yeah. um, probably wasn't to know as a teenager that that was probably a bit too much to bite off and um, a bit of fatigue and, and whatnot I ended up um, having a head on collision on the highway and quite lucky to survive that um, but um, that's um, yeah. So whereabouts was the accident? Yeah, near Mackay. Okay. Um, so nearly got there. I think I had a couple of hours to go uh, after three days on the road. But um, I think uh, it, you know, sitting here today, if I was silly enough to try and do that again, it, it might be a fortnight trip rather than a three-day trip. <laughs> and so you've been riding motorbikes long, or was it a new sort of passion that you found, a new hobby? Yeah, um, just as a as a semi-adult, um, you know, when I was old enough to get my motorcycle license, I think we had eleven people in my class of electronic technicians and eight of us had motorbikes. So it was a, a good group thing for us to be doing. Um, but um, it was, yeah, a good fun for a young person thing, good fun thing for a young person to do. Um, unfortunately, I didn't realise it would change uh, the rest of my life. Well, let's talk about that for a moment because I guess you wouldn't be the athlete that you are now if it wasn't for that accident. Um, so 18, become an amputee, What's going through your mind at that point? Yeah. Um, a really challenging period, you know, trying to work out what you're going to do. Um, you, know, you need to learn to walk again. Um, I think that was the, um, you know, the time I spent out at um, the Woodstock Rehabilitation Centre um, in North Albury. Um, was you know, very valuable to have that, that facility locally. Um, the, uh, ended up um, yeah, yeah, struggling a little bit mentally. You know, you're a bit unsure of yourself, and I'm wondering, um, you know, will you end up in a, a relationship with someone as an amputee, and you probably make it up to be bigger than what it really is. Um, but um, yeah, I found some good good mental health and happiness through sport, and um, by that stage, I was in Melbourne doing my studies, and I came across a uh, a local cycling club and there was a, a Paralympian that was already there able to guide me to, to who makes good prosthetic legs and mm. uh, ended up with a, a guy, David Lee out who's still making my legs today, um, so a good 25 years on, yeah. or 20 years on. Um, I, um, yeah, I found myself you know, on uh, Beaconsfield Parade down in St Kilda, hopping on a bike and I remember getting going for you know one of the first times on the bike you know properly, um, and um, the bike would surge back and forward every time I pedalled. But oh, there's something wrong with my bike. I got off and spun the wheels, and no, it was because I was pushing with one leg. Yeah, yeah. So it's amazing. So you've been you you said yourself about rehabbing through learning to walk again when you're first becoming amputee. But then everything, I guess, is a new learning. So if you had been riding a bike as a child, suddenly, as you said, you thought surging, but it was really one powerful leg. Um, how do you go on to compete? I guess this is probably pretty early days, really. Did you have many people to compete against other than the Paralympian sort of there in that in the same sort of category? The, um, the, the introduction that I had through was Carnegie Caulfield Cycling Club was fantastic. And they basically said, well, you get better by cycling, you know, by cycling in races. So why don't you come along and start doing races? So I... Uh, before I knew it, I was on a, a fixed-wheeled bike on the velodrome and uh, racing against, you know, 10- and 12-year-olds because yeah. <laughs> that was about the speed that I was. 
And uh, I think, yeah, eventually end up racing against old people that have had their day. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, even that was a challenge to, um, yeah, of course, life became really, you know, really small when I lost my league. You know, I couldn't drive anymore. Um, I didn't have a job. I didn't have you know, much going on at all. Um, and, you know, the, you have this community in sport um, and you had the, the, you know, walking. I was walking with a walking stick at the time. Mm. Uh, or a crutch on a bad day and uh, you know, you're walking at 3k an hour and all of a sudden you're on a push bike going 30, 35 k's an hour and just you felt alive again. The rush. Mm. And so velodrome and fixed fixed wheel, for anybody who hasn't tried to ride a fixed wheel before, that's challenging for somebody with two legs because mm. um, it just does its own thing really, is the sort of feedback I understand is. But then yeah. the velodrome, the, the sheer, the, the grade of the track, mm. We've just come off the back of watching Olympics and Paralympics, um, where that's pretty dangerous. That's a dangerous sport, right? It looks yeah. dangerous. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, I've had a few decent stacks over the years. Uh, but, um, yeah, one of my first, um, yeah, after my first season, one of my first races was I was invited to do the national championships at the, um, in, under the, one of the tennis centre um, stadiums in Melbourne, there's a velodrome. Mm. And we got to race on that, and yeah, it was uh, the Olympic style velodrome with the polished wood and the, the steep pins. And uh, I remember after my third race on that, I um, set a new record in the, the 200 meter sprint and went flying around the corner at the end of the race with one hand up in the air celebrating. And wow, <laughs> you know, only a week ago I was petrified of being on that, that slope. Mm. But um, it, it just the, the tip is to ride faster through the corners, and of course, that helps you race faster. Um, and if you go slow, then that's that's when it's risky. Um, yeah. So all or nothing. You mentioned all earlier nothing. on, the yeah, life's you live it. <laughs> it sounds like it's yeah. a perfect sport. And so, also para triathlete now. When did you go? You know what? Cycling isn't enough of a challenge for me. Let's throw in a swim leg and a run leg as well. They, um, I had had some pretty good success early on in the velodrome cycling. Um, you know, after you know, probably a decade of doing that, I uh, found that I was still improving, but not as quickly as my competitors were improving. Mm. Uh, so I, it kind of felt like I'd got all I was going to get out of that sport. And um, it took a, a year or two on the sidelines and felt my general uh, happiness decline over that mm. period. Uh, I thought I need to get back into something. And I thought, well, I had gotten in. An interest into triathlon when I had two legs. I've done about six months of triathlon training before I lost my legs. So I had an almost brand new bike under the bed for a long time. Oh, wow. Um, but um, I thought, well, I'll get back into to local triathlon and, and have a go at that. I'd learned uh, along the way to, to run just for a bit of a, a side interest. Um, and um, I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm probably going to do it properly. Um, and I went and sought out a coach, uh, Fabrizio Andrioni, who locally, and um, I said to him, hey, look, I just want to do do some local races and have fun. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Anybody yeah. who knows Fab doesn't say that to Fab. <laughs> <laughs> you must have only just met him. <laughs> I have only just met him. I found it very hard to understand his Italian accent to start with. Uh, a half-hour meeting and understood about 10 minutes of it. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, sure enough, uh, I think within two years we're at the World Championships in Chicago, uh, racing 
you know, at the top level again. So it's, um, I think, yeah, a strive to continue and enjoy new things and, and be competitive and uh, get the heart rate going. Um, I think um, triathlon's been a real gift. Yeah, you, yeah. you mentioned happiness there. You know, and the mental struggle of obviously the accident, but then even being sort of aware of yourself. How important is that in in terms of how you think you've achieved so far? Is sort of listening to yourself and how you feel. Yeah, I, I think we we all need to be kind to ourselves, and there's, there's plenty of chances for other people to tell us what to do, what we should be doing, how we should be thinking, um, and to to check back on yourself and. Um, yeah, there's always more you could be doing, but you're basically on the right things. Um, yeah, I've, one of my challenges with, with trying to be an elite uh, sports person and a business person and a family man is they don't all fit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you need to you need to compromise somewhere, and it's you know, probably part of why I think my, my most successful sporting times was when I was you know, shortly after university when. There's plenty of time in your world. <laughs> <laughs> You're at your own pace. And so let's talk about, I guess, staying committed and, and all that sort of thing. Because talking to a few athletes throughout this journey series, regardless of what their sporting field is or what their level of success has been, for anybody who hasn't tried to be an elite athlete or even just even ultra competitive, whether it be at a local level, and you sort of touched on it, the sacrifice, the commitment, and... Um, do you ever find that you just go, why am I getting up today and why am I going and riding or running? Like, do you ever lose that motivation? What keeps you going yeah. for you? Yeah, you certainly do. Yeah. You know, I guess, you know, for anyone who you know, is alive these days when you've got more energy than others, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've got um, probably two people that have helped me out on that space over the years was um, the, the boss that I had in Melbourne after I left university. Um, yeah, he wrote a a short quote about you know getting up in each day and participating with the energy that you do have. Um, you know, that's a successful life. Um, and um, I think uh, Paralympian Peter Heinemann, uh, who I used to train with in Melbourne, he said, Glenn, you won't want to train every day. You might go weeks or months where you're not enjoying it, but keep doing it and enjoy it and come back. Mm. And I thought that, you know, that, that helps me out to think, well, that I'm here and doing my thing uh, and keep the habit uh, and you know, the, there'll be you know, another event on the calendar that, that inspires you to keep going or I think that really helps is to yeah if you don't have an event you're looking forward to why am I <laughs> getting out of bed first thing in the morning or squeezing in some training after dinner we might touch on COVID a bit more later but I'd imagine with those events that you've done and the travel and the the, the um the level at which you've competed has that been difficult with the COVID thing? Like to find those things that are going to keep you on track and keep you motivated. Yeah, um, it, it has been. Yeah, even just locally, our calendar for the Orgrudong Triathlon Club has been cramped down a fair bit. Mm-hmm. We've got a few races in the second half of last summer. We're just working hard at the moment as to how to get that going again this year. Um, the um, we managed to get a national championships up in Newcastle in February, uh, which was nice to get to. Um, but uh, it didn't have the same vibe as a normal race meeting where you might have a team dinner beforehand and yeah. uh, you know, gather you know, for a race briefing and so on. It was all QR codes and 
yeah, read this email and, and off you go. So, um, the COVID, yeah, has, I think, impacted a lot of athletes. And it, it seems more so in Australia, you, you look over to what the athletes in Europe are doing, and it's almost as if COVID never happened. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a whole health story that goes with that. Well, I think it's interesting because you're right. When um, a lot of the Olympians and Paralympians were coming home, or we all assumed they'd come home to ticket tape parade and what have you, a lot of them had shot off to other international comps that were all still happening. Mm. Um, and it's sort of hard for us to fathom on this side of the planet, isn't it? Well, it certainly is. Yeah. And so you've mentioned juggling the three things the, the, the professional aspect, the, the athlete aspect, the family man sort of thing. Often I'll ask people, so when you've got some spare time, what do you do? <laughs> Is there something outside of those three that you manage to fit in, a hobby or anything like that? By the time you take care of the, the gardening and uh, actually I'll say cooking is probably something I've fallen uh, more in love with over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I, you know, Probably went through university like most people, you know, frying up some sausages and cooking up some two minute noodles. Sardo <laughs> chicken skills on rice. <laughs> yeah, or doll dazzlers, the yeah. packets of uh, rice and noodles and things there. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, I got, um, a couple of years ago I got a, a cookbook from Toby Paddock, uh, an Australian chef who worked with Jamie Oliver. They'd um, come back and uh, that just happened to be a vegan cookbook. Um, so uh, I think I've really enjoyed cooking some things out of that and then yeah, going further and uh, finding some other chefs to find some inspiration from them. Uh, you, you know, read these recipes and I said, well, it's going to take you half an hour plus 45 minutes and four hours later, you know, you're driving <laughs> out the kitchen. <laughs> I think you're right. Has anyone ever called, <laughs> cooked an item off a recipe that says 15 minutes prep time, half an hour cook time? It's never ready in 15 minutes and half an hour, is it? No. <laughs> it's never ready. Um, so, quotes. Often, again, in the journey, we talk about some mantras and things that the people that are sitting in that same chair you are at the moment. Mm. Um, and we sort of touched on that, sort of keeping going a bit. But what are some of those sort of philosophies and things that you can relate to or you like? Yeah. I think, you know, as you, you grow and evolve, the, the things that appeal to you, um, you know, change. You, you probably need different inspiration from different people at different times. Um, you know, the, I've still got you know, on my desk at work that, that quote from my old boss Peter uh, about just having a crack every day with whatever energy you've got. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm not one to, to memorise um, too many quotes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, probably a, you know, one of the more recent ones that um, has caught my eye. Uh, just when listening to a few podcasts and things on um, uh, stoicism and um, yeah, how to best live your life mm -hmm. and uh, just the, the concept that uh, so you know, live today as if it's your last day and uh, go to bed content that you know, if that's all there is it's been all right yeah mm -hmm. it's a confronting mindset to mm -hmm. approach at first isn't it if if, uh, if you've been pretty good at parking all the sort of significance of life and death and incidents and what have you aside and just go about it but but it is something that is good to put in practice yeah. i want to Mention a quote if I can to you that okay. I think is a great quote because it's one of your own. <laughs> now, I've never done this to someone before, but in research for this, I saw you know, your Glenn Jarvis paratriathlete uh, Facebook page where people can obviously follow and keep up to date with when you are uh, doing your triathlons. But 
Nice to be back in action. I'm sure people dread getting stuck behind me on the swim exit ramp, which anybody who's ever seen or watched a triathlon, you can see it can be a bit of a fist fight to try to jostle the position at any of the change of legs. Um, solution, swim faster than me. <laughs> Was that intended to be tongue-in-cheek? Is it intended to be motivational for anybody who is able-bodied and might be being beaten by someone as able as yourself? Yeah. I think that one was, you know, when you've got one leg and you're swimming, you don't, you don't particularly swim with your legs. You know, some of the, the local junior swimmers are seeing the pool and they've got the kickboard and they can kick faster than I can swim. You know, very impressive young men yeah. and women. Um, but um, what happen, tends to happen is I tend to cross the Owens flat water hole uh, reasonably in good shape, you know, in the, maybe the top quarter of the field or so. Uh, but then I feel quite awkward, the fact that I'm stumbling up the, the goat track out of the waterhole at quite a slow pace and there's people trying to sprint up that hill. Uh, it's quite narrow. Um, so I feel a little bit bad that I'm, I'm there, but I, I kind of reflected on that day that well, maybe if they hopped out of the water before me, they wouldn't have to try and pass me <laughs> on the run. I love it because you're right, the com competitors should take some sort of um, ownership over that, shouldn't they? They might need to train harder. They might need to get up earlier. They might need to <laughs> do more. The, the club's really inclusive and um, it's, it really is. A lot of these things, um, you, know, you make them bigger in your own head and the, you know, that person is probably quite happy to take a breath after gasping for air for the last five minutes. Uh, and, yeah, we'll I'll get past you later on. <laughs> um, another question, uh, who do you admire the most in the world? The... Um, my wife. Clever answer. That makes me tired. Uh, teary. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I married her because I was really proud of who she was and what she did. And, um, you know, raising three kids when I met her. Yeah. And she's had a whole lot thrown at her since then. Um, and she's still going and uh, giving everything she can in life. Yeah. And. Um more importantly, tolerant of you, I guess. Is that right? Would that be a yeah. fair assumption? A lot of us blokes yes. sometimes feel that way. We go, geez, you're doing good enough without yeah, worrying very, about what my issues are. <laughs> very supportive. Um, yeah. She's my number one fan. Uh, so. That's great. Mm. That's great. Um, that's important that you can feel proud of that, you know, because mm. not, not everybody gets to that point in life either when they are searching yeah. for that sort of feeling too. Mm. So you've done well. Um, Sliding door moments, I mean, <laughs> we talk about them from time to time and a lot of people think about what if I had have done this, what if I had have done that, um, or this person coming into my life. Um, you've obviously had a few, um, and some of those out of your control, um, but is there anything that you've sort of sat back and reflected on and gone, you know, what if I hadn't have taken off on the motorbike ride and didn't overload or didn't try to do it in a few days? Yeah, I think that's, that's the obvious one. There's a, a sliding door moment. It, there's um, yeah, a lot of uh, um, when I think about where my life was probably heading before that crash, um, and you know, talking about you know, tomorrow's not a promise, and uh, that day it certainly wasn't. Mm. So, um, I think that's what's really yeah, pushed me on to become you know. The, the person I am today, you know, through family, business, and and sports, um, to you know, to set out to achieve something and to, to just improve that little bit each day, and 
Goodness knows what my life would look like if, if um, I hadn't been blessed with being an amputee. You, well, mm. and what a great phrase to use because you've clearly unlocked the competitive advantage of what would have been a fairly traumatic and mm. you know, troubling. And you've spoken about you know what went through you at the time. Will I be? How do I be normal? What's my life look like? Um, confronting times, but it's all about the mindset at the end of the day, isn't it? More so than the physical sort of sort of thing. That um, that just took me back to. The really early days when you know, my prosthesis was made of metal and wood, and you had leather straps holding it around your hips and you know, woolen socks to, as the padding. Mm. Um, and people in the say, Oh, okay, are you going to go to the Paralympics? <laughs> and you're sitting there, you're spending most of your day in a wheelchair and you know, hobbling around, and this thing that hurts like hell to put on. And um, you know, there's this expectation that, okay, well, you're an amputee, you better go do something. Uh, I don't remember being a teenager and someone saying, oh, you can run? When are you going to the Olympics? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, there's this expectation um, that, you know, you will conquer and, and go forward. And, of course, not everyone does. It, it, it's a difficult journey. Um, and there's, there's times when you, you know, you get up in the morning and you can't just get out of bed and walk. Uh, so, you know, that can drain on you a little bit. Uh, on, your, on your down days, yeah, yeah. Um, you hear some of the disgusting treatment, disgusting behaviour, you know, ignorance in people, and you know you don't circle, circle yourself with those sorts of people in life generally. But but regardless of what, um, everybody's unique. Everybody's like this. We're doing a journey. Like everybody's got their own story. Have you have you had any issues um, being an amputee in life where you you've sort of been disadvantaged or people have looked at or treated you differently or? They, Maybe, but if they have been, they've, they've been insignificant and, and, and you brush them off. And so you, know, you don't, you don't need those those views in your life. And but I, I think the fact that you know I, I had a pretty good hit to my head in that collision, and amazingly my brain still works, mm. and I can still talk well. And you know, I've met some amazing Paralympians over the years and been in training camps with them and got to know them well. And um, my heart goes out to people that their brain still works, but they can't talk like they used to be able to. Mm. And people treat them like they're idiots or mm. you know, make judgments about them. And you know, that's, I'm, you know, what's a wig? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, um, it's very easy to sit here at a, at a table and pick it over nuts, it's there. Um, so, you know, quite fortunate that you know, anything could have happened that day and, and you know, all I did was lose weight. Yeah. It's very inspiring, your approach to it all. I mean, you've obviously had plenty of years to get yourself through that personal situation and personal struggle, but it, it's it's inspiring for anybody, even like myself, sort of listening to you speak. Thanks. Um, thinking of... Uh, you know, hindsight, it's always pretty clear vision hindsight. <laughs> what would you have told yourself maybe before entering the army? Or if you could go back and sort of talk to a younger you, was there any advice you'd give yourself? Not sure. It's, um, <laughs> I, I think about what a great life I've had. And touch wood, we've got a bit to go. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, what, what, would you, what would you do differently? Um, not a great deal. The, um, yeah, the the different chapters that have been so far uh, have all had a good good place, and I don't feel like there have been too many days wasted. Uh, yeah, good, been good. 
And let's go back onto the COVID topic because, you know, as you said, touch wood, we're all sort of, what's going on around us? What's the next chapter look like? Um, has it has it changed your perspectives or your views on life or, or, or the things that matter to you? How do you think it's impacted on you? Yeah. And I mean, just probably the easy ones to start with. Um, it's been a good reminder as to how much I do like my exercise. And we've been very lucky that the government all the way along has said, go out and exercise. Yeah. Uh, so that's been uh, a blessing. You know, I've made me stand on my pool swims, but, um, you know, plenty of bike riding and jogging and um, what have you. Um, yeah, I like being out in nature. And, of course, with the 5K radius, that, that's been a little bit limited. Yeah, I've got a nice little reserve behind my house, so I've been able to at least get, get out with the trees and, and the birds. Um, but I never particularly think of myself as a social person, uh, but really missed the social connections I've got with my small group of people that I, I do like to catch up with. Uh, so it's probably been the, the one thing that's probably really highlighted is that while you know, you're generally happy you know, mowing the lawn and cooking a meal, uh, but um, you know, catching up with my extended family and um, you know, the sporting friends, a big hole. It's interesting because you are seeing people respond differently, like particularly in workplaces. Some people are really struggling if they're on the force to work from home and they really need to be surrounded by people. Mm. Um, some people that were traditionally social and pretty pretty active social lives have gone, you know, it's actually not too bad to be isolated and and, um, and just take a break. Yeah. Um, it's just it's quite an interesting social experiment almost really, isn't it? Because everybody legitimately responds differently to the situation around them. Yeah, I certainly, as a, a team leader at work, um, it's been a bit more heavy lifting to, to try and keep the channels of communication open from home. Um, you know, but, um, you know, those days when you've got just a few too many interruptions uh, when you're in the workplace, uh, to be at home and to be able to concentrate on a job for a few hours at a time, um, yeah, there's pros and cons. Yeah. Do you think we're more productive as a society with COVID? Yeah. Do you think all the work from home, yeah. the less commuting, the less you know flights to Sydney to conferences and Melbourne and things like that, do you think we're more productive? Uh, I think it depends on the nature of the work. Yeah. The yeah some yeah you know, oftentimes we're having conversations, quite serious conversations about people's financial livelihood and uh, perhaps their life savings, uh, and there's nothing that substitute sitting across the table and, and being able to communicate really effectively uh, both ways um, to resolve things and, and sometimes that's, that's less efficient. Uh, we've had, uh, I've been blessed to, to go on financial planning conferences over the years uh, to, to various um, uh, lovely destinations and um, yeah, last year's conference, we've got one coming up next week. Uh, which is a series of about 20 video links. <laughs> um, and look, the, the technical content, yeah, you can learn that out of a book or on a website anytime. Uh, what you miss is you know, getting together with like-minded business owners and talking through the issues that you're each facing and oftentimes they're fairly similar. Uh, so there's, you, know, the, the, you don't have the inefficiency of a, a day's travel to and from the conference, um, but you're missing out on that that fluid networking at you know, dinner or, or lunch when you, you know, the, the breakaway sessions. I call my wife doing a training course three days, nine to five on the one Zoom call. 
<laughs> this is sort of mid mid our uh, point of pandemic at the moment. This is a little over twelve months ago, so close to the halfway mark of where we sit today. I'm sitting there going, "How on earth can you do that? You know, how are we as humans going to be able to do that for an extended period of time?" And lo and behold, here we are, twelve months or so later, still doing it. Walking into a calendar full of <laughs> Zoom calls mm-hmm. or team meetings. Yeah. Um, and we've somehow, it's amazing how we've adapted and essentially we're all probably going to go in the future. We've ended up having to go by necessity pretty rapidly. Like, There's been a steep learning curve on <laughs> what technology can help us. <laughs> and I think we all still leave ourselves on mute from time to time. <laughs> we're still caught out by that, don't we? Um, a little bit of fun. So uh, this is this is good because you've just you've revealed that you've taken the cooking. Um, so an oldie but a goodie, if you're able to invite three people to your dinner party, alive or dead, you can choose. Who would you have sitting there with you? The, um, I've heard this question on a few other episodes of The Journey. <laughs> and I suspected this one might be coming, and, and I've been racking my brain to think of who. The, um, and so reflections there around, um, you know, through conferences, through, through sporting events, I've met a lot of superstars in their field. Mm-hmm. And you know, oftentimes you come away from that realizing that you you kind of heard their key message, and they're just ordinary people. There's no, nothing to be you know beholden or you know, praised to the, the heavens for that particular person. Um, and um, where where I settled was um, you know, the cook for for three other people and sit down and have a meal with them. Uh, so with my parents and my wife. I think um, that's simple. That's simple. Yeah, I love it. And mm-hmm. um, so, when you are cooking, is it sweet or savoury? Yeah, <laughs> usually savoury. Yeah. yeah, I haven't delved too deeply into desserts. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the next chapter. And um, and just for a bit of fun, the normal weekend. You know, this weekend, what does it look like for you? The um, I, I find my, my happiest weekends are yeah, when, when I manage to do a grocery shop, uh, do a bit of cooking with the fresh food, uh, and I can tick off that I've done yeah, at least a bike ride and a run, uh, maybe a swim, uh, and um, yeah, particularly in the summertime, I love swimming out of the weir uh, on the weekend. It's great. Um, and as long as the, the neighbour doesn't, the the, um, the lawns don't look too much worse than the neighbours, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, Glenn Jarvis, thank you for being part of the journey. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that have uh, tuned in to my podcast that have watched this um, and and learnt a bit about you know what really the commitment, the resilience, and things that it takes in life. And and watching someone put all the things that we're told are good for us into practice each and every day. So thanks so much for sharing it with us. Thanks for listening to The Journey. At BMG Partners, they enable people to achieve their dreams. If listening to this conversation got you thinking about your journey and whether you're on track, they'd love to hear from you. Head to bmgpartners.com.au. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.